All right, five, four, three, two, one, go. Mic check. Wait, that was not me that said mic check. What the heck? Oh, okay. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. totally confused okay. as what just happened. No, All right, I'm no, I was confused. I'm gonna kill you. I'm sorry. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. Ah. <laughs> okay. Okay, ready? Oh. He's like, why am I talking? Okay. Okay, you ready? We only did this all last night, dude. Okay. Okay, ready? Tell me when. Hey, Mortimer, I'm gonna need a mic check. Uh, happy, happy birthday. Check, check, microphone, check, microphone, check. One, two, hot mic. It's a hot mic. It's a hot mic. Here goes hot mic. Not rock a boat, but stop. I don't wanna rock the boat. I want to sing it! Ah! You're gonna bark all day, little doggy. Are you gonna bite? Brett, Brett, you're delusional. Now, delusional. Yeah, delusional's okay in your worldview. I'm an animal, as you know. Chastise chickens for being delusional. Chastise pigs for being delusional. So you call me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. Ching off on me! Ah! <laughs> what? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the careful men lauding them for their courage. Go make disciples, not to make buddies, not make brosives, not make homies. Disciples, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say, yes, we can the truth, when they're not. Take an amazing journey to a place that will blow your mind and move your heart so you will never be the same again. <laughs> so ask and you shall receive. We had listeners, you didn't know this, we had listeners that uh, had requested, special requests to uh, have Mortimer do the opening of Apologia Radio. Ask and you shall receive. That's that, what that's what that is. That was awesome. Did you like it? That was good. It definitely was not Joe Boot. No, 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 no. You, I, 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 we, I, they didn't know that we were doing that. Marcus and I were were here uh, putting that together uh, last night, and uh, so that was a surprise to Joy and Luke and to Jerry. And wow. uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, was good, I yeah. was confused at first because I'm looking, I'm listening to it, I'm looking at you, and I'm like. Wait, Jeff's not talking. He's not doing Mortimer. So how's Mortimer talking if he's not? Oh, it's re- I see where this is going. Yeah, and and Marcus it's a recording of the intro. Marcus Mortimer. I was confused by the intro. We had a little uh, yeah. a struggle. Like, is, is Marcus doing that? Because Mar- Marcus has a really good Mortimer impression. Oh, yeah, we had he a little record that earlier. We had a little struggle at the beginning. Uh, Marcus, and it's all I coming hit, together. When I hit play, Marcus goes, "Wait a minute, why am I talking?" Why am I, why am I talking? My, <laughs> it was, you know, only what we worked on last night. So uh, this is Apologia Radio. And if you're a new listener, you're probably very confused right now. But if you don't understand the context, that's our uh, that's our basic opener, but with Mortimer. So, yeah. Which, if you're a first-time listener, you also don't know who you Mortimer have is. no idea what's happening. Yeah, that's true, too. So uh, check out one of the old other episodes, and uh, you'll understand what's going on. So, again, ask and you shall receive. We love our listeners, and so you guys made a request, and we, uh, we made it happen. So that's uh, the bear over there wearing the classic <laughs> Apologia Christian Ministries t-shirt. Yes, sir. That's the first one. Yes. And I, I personally think the best one. I don't know if it's just because I'm privy to it because it was, you know, New Beginnings. New beginnings. Do you say nude beginnings? No, no. Uh, 
New Beginnings. Oh, new. Yeah, new. and uh, so I, I like it. I don't have it it's anymore. It's like being born. It's my a wife, new beginning. My wife wore all of my shirts out, Yeah. so I don't have them anymore. Most of them have paint all over them. Yes, yes. I, I, I have to confess, there. I may have thrown away some of her shirts. She doesn't know this. <laughs> Just, I threw him away. I didn't like him anymore. I was like, I don't like that shirt anymore, so I threw it away. Yeah. What? <laughs> wow. Well, well she, she was, knows now. She knows. She knows that she she wore it a lot around the house. Like, you know, as soon as she'd get home, she'd wear the same shirt and pants and like, oh, I'm going to mm-hmm. get comfortable or whatever. And it was after like six years, you're like, this needs to go away. So, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd, throw away, I'd throw away a couple. A couple dozen? Yeah, yeah. That's Joy the Girl. What's up, Joy? Hello. How's and, it going? And, and Nostradamus is here today. Jerry. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad to be here. Thank yes. you. So uh, <laughs> we're back. Uh, I didn't hear that at all, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm running off no sleep. I think I should, should just. I turn your mic up? Maybe you didn't. <laughs> I think I should just give up as a pastor ever getting meaningful sleep ever again. Ever. Yeah. I just don't sleep. And uh yeah, so what's up with you guys? I don't I don't sleep either. No, I know. Me either. When when you do you sleep here. <laughs> Briefly. So and and I forgot to introduce Pittman. He's obviously on the ones and twos in the back. I still don't. What does that mean? Yeah, the one you are you kidding me? Uh, our listeners No, I'm this serious. This coming from the guy that <laughs> said the just... kids are talking about crunking. Ones yeah. and so. twos. I think it's like a hip hop thing, right? Yeah, it's like the, the DJ turntables. You're on the ones and twos. The is that true, Bond? You you work for. I, I actually do not for, have turntables back here. It's true. Okay. Did you say Justin? You said with it's me? close. Bond, Bond is verifying. He oh, didn't it's close. say it's true. He said it's close. I just saw his mouth moving. I don't <laughs> Good know. Good try. I, I can't hear what he said. Turn it down for what? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. So, if you're a new listener, I want to encourage you guys to go to apologiaradio.com, and you can pick up the old episodes, and you can share them on your social media. There's somewhere around 130 episodes now, I think, something like that, and uh, we've run. The gamut from all kinds of issues related to the Bible, where does it come from, is it trustworthy, the existence of God, science in the Bible, theology, eschatology, uh, all kinds of really, it's really, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. great. (laughs) And uh, there's also the appy, it's free at uh, Google Play or the iTunes store. You pick up the app and the app has sermons, it has lectures, it has conference talks, it has every single Apology Radio episode available right there, easy to download, all for Freezies and Redemption Radio, which is a show we did for about two years or three years before Apology Radio. And uh, you can listen to that, all kinds of great scholars and stuff. And I think by the airing of this episode, we should have up the talk with Michael Brown and James White. My Pittman, am I, would I be sure accurate if I were to no, say? No, 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 we should, yeah. Okay, so we were able to get Dr. Michael Brown and Dr. James White here in our writer's room. Uh, well, White was in our writer's room, and Brown was via Skype. And well, he was here in our writer's room in spirit. Yes, he was. And we'd talked for about an hour and a half or so about SCOTUS, uh, the SCOTUS decision. Yes, yes. Can we please call this Can- Reservoir Docs? Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Can yeah, please, yeah. Please, yeah. please, uh, please. SCOTUS, the SCOTUS decision. Uh, Is that it? The SCOTUS? Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a way to do it. There's a serrated edge. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, SCOTUS uh, decided that uh, Game Mirage was the thing. And so uh, that's a show. We, we did a show on it. You should at least give me credit for that. 
I, I know you deserve credit for that. Thank you. See, there's a, there's, you. there's there's a part of 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 being a prophet in a culture that is the serrated edge, right? Yes. It's the righteous. Doug, you, Doug. Mockery. It's the you know. It's it's good to do that sometimes. Yeah. Especially when it kind of it, it ties the whole room together. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And uh, like this rug on the floor, which by the way is not tied into the floor yet. It won't ever be tied into the floor. Well, taped, maybe, glued. I will yeah, tape that, the edges. That reference seems a little bit below the belt, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, that is probably up at the airing of this episode, depending on the editing process. It's really, really exciting to have uh, Dr. James White, who, I, you know, James White, I think is probably one of our biggest supporters he he shares and retweets more than any other fan more than me i think yeah. is you know something goes up for apology radio he's like boom retweet that yeah he beats you to it all the time he does i'm he, always like why haven't you shared that jeff james white shared it <laughs> you haven't got yeah. it you haven't shared it yet yeah even though he calls us apologia yes yes he does he won't pronounce it correctly no he doesn't mm. um because uh, and I, I mean technically if we use that we should really call him a christian apologist yes and he does apologetics yeah. And <laughs> that's the best argument I've heard so far thank against you. Apologia. Thank, thank you. That's the best one. Uh, apologist, apologetics. I think he's done. Except for the fact that don't those are not him. Greek words. Yes, I well, <laughs> so they we don't we wouldn't honor the the Greek pronunciation. I don't think it sounds no like a radio Joy. show is a Greek radio show, Joy. Is that how someone like me in rural Alabama would pronounce that? Like I'm down there studying apologetics. I'm studying out there apologetics, y'all. Um Hey, what are we doing right now? Oh, I know what we're doing. Um, we're going to do a great stuff on this show today. At least we plan to. We're going to talk about... We're going to do the glory line. You guys have called in to the glory line. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about Christ is victorious. We're going to talk about answering some objections, possibly. The book of Revelation, the great tribulation. We'll see what we actually get to. Um, but uh, before we get to our glory line, I want to encourage you guys. We put a sermon up at ApologiaRadio.com. And it was a sermon that I delivered before the people of God uh, two days after uh, the decision by the Supreme Court to denigrate marriage and profane marriage. Um, and there's also the radio program that we did together, which uh, a lot of people really appreciated. And I think it blessed a lot of people. And particularly, they were really blessed by Joy's. Yeah. You've gotten a lot of good feedback. Hmm. I sent you the one screenshot. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I've heard of that from several people. Yeah. They appreciated Joy's transparency. Jeff, so what you're saying is we've done a lot of gay stuff recently. We have. Yeah. A lot. A mm -hmm. lot. And, uh, okay, so you want to get to, let's get to the glory line. You think? Okay. No, let's get to the glory line. Jerry, what do you think? The glory line? Let's do it, glory. So you guys have to forgive Actually, me. Actually, I, I have an interesting piece of uh, news. Oh, please. But it's just fun and funny off of BuzzFeed. Okay. So um, I really it. wish that I could read to you the actual pamphlet, but it's in Russian. So I can't. You don't read Russian? No, I don't. What? Do you? Bold? No. Because you could read it for Mother me. Russia. Um, but so Vodka. basically, um, the Russian government has released a safety guide about taking selfies because this oh. year alone there have been a hundred selfie related injuries what? one of them including a group of teenagers setting themselves on fire wow while in the process of taking a selfie does it have any kind of explanation as to how well, even if i can imagine even holding looking at a smartphone while driving on a russian road because if you look online at all the uh russian car accidents yeah that people right. get into it's insane i saw one 
it was like this this car's just driving and they have a camera like I they think all have cameras over yeah there. well and all of a sudden you see this van it just goes launching probably 200 <laughs> feet into the air just oh. ran randomly it's a real video and that's that's the norman russia so i would not want to hold a smartphone while driving there well yeah Let maybe it's just more dangerous there yeah but yeah so they release this thing and it has all these you know like the classic little like red circle with the line through it luke's getting a call okay for i need it's john wilford he wouldn't call me yesterday okay i'm gonna say this right now <laughs> for you listening to the show if you can figure if you know how to disconnect my cell phone from my ipad please let me know because i can't figure it out <laughs> Every time I get a call, Any the bad Apple geniuses rings. out there, let us know. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Okay, continue. Anyway, it's just, it's really funny. Like I said, I wish I could read it, but there's like pictures of people falling down mountains and it's like, no, don't do that. Like, don't. No. <laughs> and we're like no. falling off the back of a boat while they take a selfie or like holding a gun while they take a selfie. Well, don't I mean, do that's, that. Yeah, that's... Um, standing in the road, jumping in front of a train while you take a selfie. Um... Standing on top of a telephone I heard, pole. I heard they had to actually uh, ban selfie sticks from Disney World. I was going to just mention because that. Because oh, people will beat you to it. So, <laughs> so, so because people were like using them on roller coasters. Okay. Which is bad. Oh. So let me tell the story. Because I posted the link. Okay. Just kidding. I did though. Um, no, Wait, I was going to say. Luke gets credit. It actually personally th- banned them. It was, it was funny because... <laughs> the same day that the whole Scrotus thing came out that day at Disneyland announced that they were banning the selfie sticks and I was like I posted I was like well at least there's some good news today and but nobody cared I don't know what's the, what's wrong with I selfie like, okay, sticks we were just at Disneyland yes. and I seriously wanted to punch everyone with a selfie stick because I, they're everywhere you can't everybody. you're like walking around you're like trying to avoid them and yeah it's Everybody dang, it's has a selfie dangerous. stick at Disneyland. I mean, it was like, it's obscene. Have you taken a selfie with a selfie stick? Have I? I refuse yeah. to. I don't take selfies. It's incredibly convenient <laughs> when you're trying to take a picture of a group. It's also incredibly vain. No, it's not just a with a selfie stick. It doesn't have to be a selfie. It can be an ussy. An it can be a, a picture of your group you that you're with. It's with like, hey, let's like take, your let's family. Take, let's take a wheezy. You could let's... take a picture with your entire family. So, wait, you know. wait. Were they were there peps? What what happened? Were there were there <laughs> ussies? <laughs> were there ussies? <laughs> All right, guys. So we do have a really great show planned for you guys today. All kinds of stuff to talk about. Stay with us. Don't forget, guys. You can get all access stuff at apologiaradio.com. Join the ministry. Be part of what we're doing. Really great content up right now with Dr. James White with John Sampson. And uh, episode with Colin Gunn. Amazing stuff. Encourage you guys to take a look at it. Be right back. Apologiaradio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, beauties and beasts, I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face 
from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall. Protect your manlyhood. An epic combination of manliness and manhood. If you are hearing this today, there is hope for your beard. Go to youcosbeard.com and enter the code APOLOGIA and you can save some money while you save your face. dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Psalm 72, y'all. So welcome back. You have a hard time with that word, don't you? Tarshish. Every time you say it, you're like, Tarshish. I get Tarshish. Tarshish. Is that what you get on your your teeth if you don't clean them good? Tarshish? (laughs) How would Sean Connery say that? Welcome to Tarshish. Ah, no, no, you do it right now. And Sean Connery. It's right here. Right there. All right, this is Sean Connery, the post-millennialist. Yes. May he have dominion from she to she. From all the river to the ends of the earth, may desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish, oh, it sounds so good, I'll say it again, Tarshish of the coastlands, render him tribute. May the gifts of Sheba, and Sheba, which sounds the same, bring, bring gifts. May all the kings bow down before him, and all the nations serve him, from she to shining she. From she to shining Sean. Yes. That, that sounded like a, the, a love child of Bane and Sean Connery. You got a little bit of Bane in there. Okay, no, no. Perhaps no, I no, no, ready. Yo, we got we to do another one. Another one. Okay, ready? This is, uh, I want, uh, let's see here. I want, uh, uh, give me Bane. Bane doing this. Bane doing Bane, this. Bane from Batman. Yes, theatrical. There's going to be some theatricality and deception here. Ah, may he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarsus and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts, and may the kings fall down before him. All the nations will serve him. This reading has been brought to you by the Lego Shadows and Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> Thank you. All right, ready? Quick, movie guy. Movie guy. Oh, my god. That's gosh. way better on the <laughs> microphone. Let me take a sip of water. Yeah. That, that's a rough one right here. While you're doing that, I'd like to announce to everyone that we figured out my iPad situation during the break. Praise so. God. An iPad. Thank you, J-Bond. That will read forever. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. 
May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. And may the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings bow down before him, and all the nations serve him. Coming soon. <laughs> no, happening now. And happening now. <laughs> soon uh, and now. <laughs> hey, eschatological sense. <laughs> hey, uh, exegesis. Chris, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Hey, well, before you do that, I forgot to tell you that we've I've had more than one person say they would subscribe to the All Access yes. if you read more rap lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> That was, yeah, I was definitely planning on not reading any rap lyrics today. Ladies which, and gentlemen. Um, you should tell uh, Justin here because he works for Humble Beast for a rap label. And, yeah, do you want to tell him about what happened? He would or? be embarrassed. I, I don't know. If was, I don't know. We did an You'll episode just, where he tried to rap, read rap lyrics, and Lecrae. it was. Yeah. It was. It's very white. Yeah, it was just so white. It was, it was hard, yeah. to, hard to bear. It was also, unbearable. I couldn't I, bear it. <laughs> No, I had a really bad head cold too, and it was also like He's midnight. Like, it's so the head cold makes the white yeah. come out is a lot. The white at night. Yeah. Hey, look, it's a it's a white person reading okay. rap lyrics. All right. So, so Christopher Walken. This is the Walken, the post millennialist. Walken dead. Christopher post mill. All right, I'm here in the Apologia Radio, and I'm gonna read the Book of Psalms, verse eight, reading on about dominion. May have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May kings fall down before him. All the nations will serve him. Thank you. <laughs> Any other one? Me do like George Bush or something like that? Oh, okay. One more. One more. One you, more. Do, you want, do you want to pick like another verse? Because I, I think these people. This is really good because it's now, gonna memorize now. Yeah, the audience is gonna have this memorized. Maybe we can do specialty verses that you want our audience to focus on, like okay. in different impressions. I got, it. I got it. I got it. Okay, ready. I'm excited about this. Okay. Psalm. Psalm. Uh, Psalm two. Psalm 2 from verses 7 down. This is talking about leaders and rulers. Yes, yeah. So this should apply to my brother if he runs. <laughs> I love my baby brother. So Psalms chapters chapters 2. And what, what, what verse? <laughs> Help uh, me out here. This is new. No, no, you're... Verse 3? Yeah. Oh, verse 3 to... Which verse? Go. Just go until you say stop. Okay. Let's go. All right. What's up, America? And everyone outside of America, I'm going to read this verse here. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. 
you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings uh, and presidents and congressmen and senators and mayors and whoever you would apply to, be warned. Just trying to be relevant for our audience today. And Supreme Court rulers, <laughs> serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And just to add my commentary, that sounds very much like an executive order. <laughs> this is George W. Bush signing out, reading the Psalms. More to come. <laughs> More to come. All right. I saw I saw a beanie last night at the store. It said hashtag America. Hashtag America. I almost, I almost bought it for you. All right, guys. So we have a line you can call, and you can drop questions. You can say stuff to us. It's called the glory line. Can you drop gospel bombs? You can drop gospel bombs. And uh, Marcus Pittman, what's the number for the glory line? 909? 65. 65. Glory. Glory. I catch a niner in there? Yeah, you did. Two niners. 99, 909, 65, glory. Would it be real messed up if we, did, we, we actually just made it? If we had like 911, like we dialed. <laughs> it's 911, 65, glory. <laughs> People call. We're like, hi. I well, love actually, this show. One of the, I had a job that I used to work, and um, our fax line had like uh, the very beginning of it was like, uh, it was, you had to hit 9 and 1 before you dialed the 800 number. And all the time, there's a phone feature on this fax machine, so people all the time would hit 911, and automatically, just because that calls goes out, they have to respond. It ended up happening where the city of Gilbert, I think it was, reached out to where I was working, and they said if you, they started assessing fines. Yeah. So people would get in trouble because they would call, and of course they had to answer, but it was just a false alarm. Yeah. So, so you got to so, be careful of that. So we, 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 we won't do that, but yeah. 909-65 Glory. Call no fire trucks. 90965 glory. How many of you guys actually think that, that the joy is actually not being forthright about whether or not she's seen the apostle? How many of you guys actually think that she's like a nigga like, oh, watching at home and pretend like an I think she's it? pretty serious about it. You think she's serious? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I thought you were going to ask whether or not she's being forthright or whether she's black or not. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> How many of you guys think that she's like Rachel Dolezal and, you know. <laughs> Glory line. Here we go. This is the glory line. Thank you guys for calling. Is this the uh, uh, glory radio station? Yeah, I have a question about uh, about that chicken gravy. Uh, where do you buy it? That's a beautiful thing. Is this that glory radio station? <laughs> We're not even Apologia Radio anymore. It's the glory station. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. the glory station. City on a hill. Yep, the Apostle has destroyed our brand. City on a Hill. That show right there is like a city <laughs> on a hill. It's like a mansion on a hill right there. <laughs> a mansion <laughs> on the hill. <laughs> All right, so anything you, uh, he wants to know where to get the chicken gravy. Uh, that I assume you're talking about Mortimer's commercial. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You can get chicken gravy at your local food market. Well, Joy Nate. likes to cook. Maybe have she some has some chicken gravy. Get to cooking! Yep, in my pocket right now. Five, five pounds of it. <laughs> I have some in my pocket right now. I have a packet of chicken gravy. As it happens, I have a pack of chicken gravy right here in my back pocket. All right. Uh, more from the Glory Line. Hey, I just wanted to call say thank you, guys. Appreciate the ministry. Praying for you. Love you. That's all I got. Oh, you brothers. Glory. 
I love it. I love it. Well, that, message, shame. that message wasn't for me anyway. And shame on brothers. you. Shame on you. Everybody for in what? this, everybody in this is saying, glory, glory, glory. And you're the one person who is a host on this radio program who has not seen the show that every listener is glory, glory, glory. And you haven't seen it. I don't think Joy's one to go with the crowd. No, no. But, but it's just defiant. Really, look how she's dressed. <laughs> that's, what? A that's, a what? Joke. What? that's a joke. Wow. It's defiance. Are you talking about the huge can of gravy in my pocket? <laughs> yes. Huge can? It's not even a packet. I have a can. Yep. <laughs> I use Every... a can gravy right now. Yeah. Uh, sling, sling blade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. I like to have gravy with my French fried taters. Mm-hmm. Um, my so... mom does that voice all the time. Your mom does that she voice. She does a sling blade yeah. voice? That's yes. terrifying. She'll call me. And she just does mm. that voice and won't talk in a normal voice. Joy, please tell me you're joking. <laughs> not at all. Joy. I'm not. This is really happening. It really happens. Wow. That's so awesome. <laughs> Why would she that do this? That makes me love your mom She's more. weird. That is very strange. <laughs> mm, joy. Mm, pardon me. You're kidding me. No. Your mom. Not at all. Yep. Your I'm, mom. Your mom. <laughs> yep. <laughs> your mom. Her. <laughs> your mom, mom talks like Sling Blade. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Ready? <laughs> Hey guys, this is Nick Matero from New Jersey calling in. Just wanted to uh, first say thank you for all your, you guys have done and the whole apology and ministry. And, um, it's truly blessed me in, in so many ways. I had a question about presuppositional apologetics. How does presuppositional apologetics get us to the God of the Bible? My you know, confusion comes in when Somebody might say, well, how do we know that the Bible is God's word, is our authority, as opposed to the Quran or some other biblical text? Thanks again for all you guys do. I'm glorious. See? I'm sensing a theme See? here. You, you, you named it the glory line. Yeah, but, but still. <laughs> they didn't have Actually, to say I glory. Named it the glory line. They didn't have to say glory. So I feel like they're being encouraged every, just a little bit. Every person so far. If it had been 909 your mom... They would have finished every message by saying your mom, your mom, and yeah. also your that mom. Would have been awesome too. I, and also your mom. <laughs> I don't know. I don't and know. If the glory line, uh, and if the glory line was eight six seven five three zero nine, that would not imply anything eight, at all. Six, too. seven five three zero nine. But it's not. But okay. isn't that like not a number? You know they what? I, to it take... actually is. There oh, are a okay. few people who hold on to that number very dearly, and they get random phone calls while they're alive. Can I? Nice. Can I? Can I say something real fast? Have you about... called it? It's it's sort of a common theme. Can I call think. it right now. Let me just we say we should call it right now. It's a common theme. Too with... bad you disconnected your iPad from your phone. I think Joy and Luke are having a side conversation, <laughs> Jeff. It's much more important than what Jeff's trying to say, though. <laughs> All right. Every time that I try to be funny, or Luke tries to be funny with either my wife or his wife or Joy, it it doesn't is, go very well. Is always. That don't impress me much. <laughs> so you got the brains. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, that's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> you know, what is it about? Like my wife, they, they take yeah, forever to get like, you know, I don't know. There's something. It's not that we don't get it. Let me just clear up. No, oh, clear I know. Up. <laughs> my wife literally will say, I'm not impressed. She, that, I hear that often. I know. All right, guys, we do have a great show for you today, and we're going to answer this question about presuppositional apologetics. It's a great one. Thank you, you guys, very, very much for calling in and asking these questions. We appreciate you. And I want to say it's really cool. It was in New Jersey, Washington, 
I mean, it's like opposite ends of the country. God's doing big things. So be right back, guys. Answering the question on presuppositional apologetics. Be right back. Hi, this is Walter with Apologia Radio. I want to ask for y'all good friends of ours to go on and click that button there and become my friends on the book face. Facebook backslash Apologia Radio. Become my friend on YouTube. That there uh, twerker. The twerker. I want to I talk to you on the twerking. And send me out a twerk. What? Wait, what? Twitter. Apologia Radio on Twitter. I also want to tell you we talk about apologetics and theology and we do with a lot of swing dancing and we make a delicious chicken gravy. PaulJailRadio.com takes me way back dude that's like yeah. ep- that's like episode one and two yeah some more nude beginnings yeah <laughs> nude beginnings all right so let's play that again here's a reminder of what the question was and again we appreciate it it's a great one it's foundational it's very very important okay here we go how does presuppositional apologetics get us to the god of the bible okay so starting point very important how does presuppositional apologetics get us to the God of the Bible, is a really important place to start because if you look at the difference between philosophical approaches, apologetic approaches between, say, presuppositional apologetics and, say, a classical or evidentialist approach, we think in terms often with evidential apologetics, like here is all of the, the mass of evidence and, and all, all very true and all very valid uh, that can get us to a point where we can demonstrate that um, the God of the Bible exists or you could have a guy like William Lane Craig actually argue for a general form of theism, either Judaism, uh, Islam, or Christianity, or some general god. So the idea is... No! Yeah, well, yeah, well, and, and the whole thing with Krauss and asking William Lane Craig, are you certain God exists? And Craig says... No! You heard that? Joy has Did he no. say it like a cat? He yeah, said, yes. it sounds yes. like a cat. I awesome. really wasn't exaggerating. Okay, so so not that not sounds to, exactly like a moaning cat that's I, I, been outside my house for the past few weeks. <laughs> well, I don't want to I don't want to denigrate him as a, as as a professing believer in Christ, but but we need to talk about this because uh, it's important. When Craig has been before audiences before, and he's been even uh, asked questions regarding uh, his faith in in God, his faith in Christ, he has even said before. I'm not arguing for the God of the Bible. I'm arguing for a general form of theism. So in other words, say you have something like the cosmological argument. Um, the, this is based on causation. You know, every, every effect had a cause, and you move back and back and back and back, and you have to have a first uncaused um, um, uh, causer of all things or an unmoved uh, mover. You have to have, you know, moving back, and, and Craig wants to argue 
and other evidentialists that this gets us to God. And what Craig will say basically is we move people to a, a basic idea of there has to be some God there. And then we move into particular evidences about Christ. And the idea is that all of these evidences and all of this reasoning, uh, much of it very sound and very solid, will get us to the God of the Bible. Well, what's the difference between, say, a covenantal apologetic and a presuppositional apologetic? And that is that we're not trying to get to the God of the Bible through the reasoning process. Mm -hmm. We're showing that. He could be trying to get people to the flying spaghetti monster. yeah. Like any God. Yeah, and that's generally what happens is we're trying to get to a general form of theism with evidentialism. But see, covenantal apologetics, I think the Reformed apologetic, biblical apologetics, and I don't mean that just to you know take a jab in some sense. I mean, genuinely, if you look at the Bible as the starting point, would say that you are not trying to get to the God of the Bible. You're trying to show that the God of the Bible is the central starting right. point, that he's the foundation, that he is the... Um, uh, self-authenticating God, that he is the final authority and that you're starting all of your thinking with him, that you cannot have a coherent or meaningful discussion about questions about truth, about logic, about science, about uniformity without first starting with him. And so you know that for sure. He's the for starting certain. point. I have this certainty. Absolutely. Because the Bible doesn't ever argue in a, in a way where um, you're trying to get to God as a final you know, solution through your reasoning process. You really see the Bible saying things like, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You really see the Bible saying things like, Romans chapter 1, that everybody knows this God. He's made himself clearly evident to all of us and that we're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Now listen closely. It says that we know God so clearly that we are unapologetous, we are without a defense, without an apologetic, really. So where does the Bible place every person um, before God? They know him, and they're suppressing the truth, and that, listen, they are fools because of their turning away from him, and that they profess to be wise, they're fools, and their thoughts are futile— so that's, that's just a general idea of when you start with the Bible, it doesn't put us in the position where you can actually buy into the unbeliever's um, professed rejection of God's existence. What's up, Skype? Um, and, uh, Underwater so, again. So watch this. Uh, Cornelius Van Til uh, actually puts the entire discussion of apologetics and methodology and epistemology on a single place in Scripture. It's Matthew chapter 7. So this is critical for Cornelius Van Til, very critical, and for Bonson, and anybody who wants to reason in this way, this is, this is a critical text. Listen closely. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Listen. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and the great was the fall of it. Now watch this. Jesus puts the whole situation of knowledge, of life, down to whether or not you build your life upon the rock. Isn't that a song? What's that? The wise man builds house upon the rock. 
Like a Sunday school song? Yeah. 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 The wise man built his house upon the rock. I don't know the house song. upon. Oh, you know? No, I wasn't raised in church, so I. Oh, I guess. Yeah, I didn't get the I Sunday thought maybe school. from your Bible man days. No vacation know. Bible schools no, for Jeff Durbin. No, no. Sixteen or seventeen is when I first heard the oh. gospel. So, wow. Well, that's sad. Um, I'll have yeah. to find it. Yeah, that sorry. is really sad. I learned Father I Abraham. I learned Father nice. Abraham like at seventeen. I think Jeff needs to listen to some Keith Green Sunday school anthem. Heck yeah. Yeah. All right, so Sorry, let me, let me, let me that's okay, let me finish this up here. So, um, so notice where Jesus puts this. He does not ask for corroboration. He does not ask for assistance. He doesn't ask them if they'd like to reason about this. He just said that you're either a fool or you're wise. You either build your life upon the rock of his word, upon him ultimately, or you're a fool and you're in sinking sand. Now notice, watch this. This is very important. It comes down to authority. Authority is the question here. Does Jesus have the authority? And notice what they, what they saw in this. In Matthew 7, 28, it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Watch. For he was teaching them, look what they noticed, as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the scribes are making appeals to other scribes, to other rabbis, to history, and on and on. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus exercises and claims Full authority. And he doesn't ask for you to sign his papers. He doesn't ask for your stamp of approval. He just says it. And he doesn't at all try to demonstrate by means of corroborative evidences that he has that authority in some sense. So Van Tell said, this is where the whole thing rests. Jesus claims here, ultimately, all authority. They notice it. And he says, build your life upon the rock, or you're on sinking sand. Now watch, that's an epistemological question. That's an issue of knowledge. How do I know? Now this is really important. When we think about the question being asked, somebody says, well, wait a second, you're saying that I have to start with the God of the Bible, but I'm challenging that. You're, you're, you're just assuming that? Well, listen, everybody has an ultimate authority, a point at which you don't go beyond. It's not like this is just the Christian saying, well, I want to just start with God as an ultimate authority. I'm just going to rest it there. And the unbeliever isn't doing that. Everybody has to. We are creatures. We're creatures and we have limitations. All of us have to have a certain point that you don't move beyond. So, for example, the unbeliever has an unquestioned, assumed ultimate authority. It could be their reason and they don't move beyond that. So, like, for example, they'll say, well, you say, well, how do you know that? And they'll say, well, I use my reasoning. If I use my reasoning. You have to use reason to know these things. You have, to, you have to say maybe somebody else has appealed to your senses and experience. And notice something. They're assuming that that has the final say or authority in the question about truth. You got to hang on to that. It's very important. It's not a, it's, this isn't simply a problem for the Christian. Everybody has to deal mm-hmm. with this because we're creatures and we have limitations. And so questions about truth have to finally move to a place of ultimate authority, a point at which you don't move beyond. The unbeliever is here, and the Christian is here. The Christian says this, God is actually who he says he is. He's the eternal God, none before, none after. He, is, he has self-authenticating word, and he is the final authority. And you have to start your thinking about everything with him, or you become a fool. And watch this. The unbeliever wants it the other way. They want to reject God's authority. They want to reject God and, and who he is, not stand on the rock. And what do they do? They say, well, let's start with our reason. But watch this. It doesn't work. You can't actually have that as the ultimate authority because this is the question. How do you know reasoning is a valid methodology 
aimed at getting at truth in the first place? And, and why is it important to get to truth at all? Why not error? Why isn't error the thing that's heralded as the, as the thing to pursue? Because you see, if you start with reasoning apart from God, you cannot justify, provide the preconditions for intelligibility to make a coherent appeal to logic. And here's what I'm getting at. How do I know that these laws of logic you're appealing to are universal? Are they universal? Or do they apply at all times to all people? Did they apply before human brains existed? Um, were laws of logic uh, necessary, universal, and unchanging before human minds existed? These laws of logic, where can I find one? Um, how do I know there's an obligation to hold to them? Am I obligated, absolutely obligated, to hold to laws of logic? Does truth matter? And with the unbelieving worldview, that starting point, apart from God, is senseless. It doesn't make sense. So they have an ultimate starting point, too, a place at which they will not go beyond to question. And the Christian says, no, you have to start all your thinking with God. Otherwise, you collapse into ruin. So, for example, the Christian can start with God as the center point of all of his thinking and her thinking and make sense of logical appeals, make sense of science and uniformity in nature, make sense of the ethical obligation to actually be truthful in the engagement about what is true. I have an obligation as a Christian to be honest and have integrity in answering questions and giving evidence. And if you look at the person that say the unbeliever that says, oh, I reject God. I don't want to start my thinking with him. I don't want to have him as the center point of the question, the foundation. I want to appeal to say science, like science is the ultimate authority for me. Sense experience, science, observation. Well, watch this. How do you know that your senses are valid? How do you know that you can trust your senses? How do you know that the world is uniform and maintains a uniformity when you believe as an unbeliever who rejects God's existence that the universe is time and chance acting on matter? How, how can you make an appeal to science as the standard when you don't know that the next 10 seconds will be like the past? You have no basis, justification, any warrant actually for the uniformity in nature. You don't have it. Because you reject God, you've lost the ability to really appeal to that in a meaningful way. But see, with God as the center point, I can make sense of the whole thing. You see, listen, listen, this is not piecemeal stuff as a Christian. Piecemeal. Like, let's see where this evidence takes us and this evidence takes us. This is the whole thing. Christianity is a total life and worldview. The epistemology is a whole thing. The, the question about science is a whole thing. The question about logic is a whole thing. It's not piecemeal. And so this is really important. Someone says, why don't I just start with the God of the Quran? Because of inconsistency and collapse. Because watch this. How come I can't just start with the God of the Quran? Because of the incoherence of the system. I do an internal critique. Okay, can we start with the God of the Quran? No, it collapses immediately. Why? Because the God of the Quran is supposed to be the consistent God of the Bible. Remember that um, Muhammad is borrowing from Scripture to make his appeal. But the problem is, is the internal inconsistency. What Muhammad says about Jesus is inconsistent with what Jesus says about Jesus. What Muhammad says about the Word of God is consistent with what the Word of God says about itself. So in other words, you've got somebody who's actually in the Quran appealing to the higher authority in the Bible. So that's interesting. The Quran itself is making a, is a secondary appeal. It's, it's an appeal to the God of the Bible, but its own system collapses, so it can't be the starting point. It's internally inconsistent. Think about that. That's why we can't start with the God of the Quran. It's internally 
inconsistent. It collapses completely. It's borrowing from the God of the Bible. And the unbeliever says something like, well, well, I'll just appeal to Thor. I'm an Odinite. Well, uh, that's my starting point. Well, the problem with that is that the claims of Thor and Odin do not parallel the claims of the God of the Bible. These old pagan mythical gods, people even understood to be myths, and they did not make the claims that the God of the Bible did. There is simply no parallel between Mithras, between Osiris, Isis, and all the rest. There is no parallel. These gods didn't claim to be the eternal God the final authority. These are mommy gods and daddy gods and baby gods and gods that are warring with one another. They don't have the full authority to carry everything along in the universe. You can't make an appeal to science. Yeah. Uh, just real quickly, I want to comment on that and actually just uh, quote the great uh, theologian Captain America when he made the note about Thor and he said, there's only one God, ma'am. He doesn't look like that. Yes. That's, yeah, well, that's one way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. From I, lo- I love that part. Did you scream in the movie when that part came on? I think I did. I was like, yeah! Fine, you should see America! Find that America! I didn't scream, but I squealed. America! All right, there's more. We got more. We do. All right, so that's just sort of a, a, a touch on the issue of authority and the starting point. Everybody has an ultimate authority, a starting point, a place they don't go past, something that has to be assumed. The unbeliever has to assume things that they cannot properly justify only with God can you have a coherent system and you're not getting to him. You're starting with him. Don't do it and you collapse. Let me say one more thing before, to go, before we go to break. I want to just make sure I don't forget to say this. This is really important. Bonson has an excellent lecture on revelational epistemology and he points something out that Christians do that we're not even aware of. He says when it comes to the question about epistemology, how do you know what you know, and final authorities, this is interesting, the Christian who say an evidentialist will say, well, we have to use this evidence, this evidence, this evidence, this evidence. We can't just assume God's authority. We're not allowed to do that. We have to use these evidences to get to God. But watch this. When they get to God, what do they say when they get there? They go, oh, he was the final authority all along. Think about that. That's critical. He was the final authority all along. So what what Bonson said is this. Watch. He says, it's as though Christians believe you build a ladder of evidences to get to God. Yeah. And then when the person gets up that ladder and gets ladder and gets to God, they realize it didn't lead the ladder in the first place. Mm. Every Christian believes that. Every Christian believes that God's the final authority, the ultimate authority and the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't need corroboration. But in our argumentation with the unbeliever because we don't start with his word, we actually behave in a way where we say you need the ladder to get there. And then you get there and you go, you didn't need the ladder. It's the beginning and the end. Yeah, and so it's really an amazing thing. And I think we all can catch it. And that's why presuppositional apologetics is not simply a methodology. It's a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's about, ready, Christ's lordship. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E. F-I-E-L-D dot E-D-U. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary 
for the graduate degree and above and beyond, I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Sunday school song mm-hmm. is a statement about ultimates and epistemology. Yeah, I was Don't never. You love it? I was never really taught that. Yeah, you're six. All right, <laughs> I know kids. The song. This is how we work out our epistemology. Yay! I tell you what, we could use some rain right now. Yeah. You notice how it's like that time of year. If you know, if you've never been to Arizona in the summer. Everybody walks around like they want to punch you in the face. It's true. Like, like they all look like they just ate a turd sandwich. It's hot. Right? Marcus? It's right? really awful. It's awful. Hey, Marcus. Yeah. It hasn't started yet. It hasn't started yet? No. Nope. <laughs> when does it start? <laughs> this month. This, wow. This month. It's July that's the hottest, right? Yeah. July. Yeah. July and August are yeah. the hottest. So get ready, Pittman. <sighs> so my, I, I, since we're talking about this, my, this week... Which I guess you're the only one that really knows. I guess Marcus does, but so our AC went out. Awful. Monday night, we woke up. All four of us woke up. I can't imagine of a worse thing happening in this state. Mm-mm. Yeah. Than, we, than that, Luke. We all woke up. At, like I, I wake up at night just free, <laughs> just with like chills that that might happen yeah. to me. Five in the morning, we woke up and it was 85 in the house. Mm. And thankfully, oh. our Jim and Sarah they were on vacation and left us the key to go swimming. So we went over at their house at 5:30 in the morning to cool off and long story short the compressor's out and we're in a hotel for yeah. three to five days until they can get it fixed this is the worst thing ever that's got to be the worst thing that yeah happened. when you're like when your air goes out in the summer in arizona you don't just like open some windows and turn on some yeah. fans and like deal like sweat a little yeah. I, you go to a hotel yeah yes. like you you can't right. sleep in your house i went you're right we yeah. went tuesday to get our, our suitcases packed and stuff and it was like 95 in the house yep I, we actually left the kids in the car with the AC running because it was so hot in the house. By the way, Justin's here. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Justin oh, Bond. Yeah. yeah, Jerry had to leave. Yeah, Jerry left. He's just oh. in time. Yeah. Hey, yo! Hey, yo! Hey, Luke. Oh, I get it. Yes. It's, it's awful, <laughs> but I want to offer you some encouragement. What? Yes. Fly away. Fly away, oh, glory. Hey, Joy, you know that's from? I'm assuming it's from the Apostle. <laughs> you did this to me once before. It's not a new thing. Except the time you did it to me before, I was actually saying something serious, and you kept playing music over my voice. <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> All right, Gloryline, here's more. 
Hi, this is Neil from Yakima, Hi, Neil. Washington. I wanted to get your uh, thought on how to uh, supplement a apologetic with evidentialism. I know that presuppositionalism is, is the go-to, but I'm wondering if we can use evidentials as a secondary side confirmation of the truth of God's Word and the truth of the Christian worldview. Thanks. Awesome question. And I think a good way to answer it is to go back to what I said a moment ago about the necessity when it comes to epistemology and how we know we know, starting with God. Go back to that Sunday school song in your mind. It's as simple as that. God, the foundation. But here's what's really interesting. As a Christian, you get to have the evidence. That's what's really great here. As a Christian, you get to have it. You get to pursue the evidence. You get to do the investigation. You get to actually take all of the stuff in to run through all the questions and see what makes most sense. See, Christians should actually be the ones that are committed to saying, well, let's gather this information and see really what's the truth about this, because we have a basis to actually be concerned about truth. Truth matters. Life is important. Humans have value and dignity. I'm obligated to actually have integrity when I am actually relaying information about something. So say, for example, in the, the area of scholarship, a scholar is, say, doing an investigation on a particular um, uh, question, right? And so they, they, they write something down, and they're, they're, they're trying to describe, well, well this is what I, I drew from to get to this truth. Well, watch this. We all assume they have an obligation to have integrity with the evidence, right? Like, what if somebody is a scholar, right, and, and in the scholarly world, they just lie. I mean, they just lie. They say, I talked to Dr. Schmutz, and he says, da-da-da-da-da, and, and there's this evidence and that evidence. I hate and, that guy. And the, wow, I know, me too. Dr. Schmutz. Schmutz. And, uh, and, and, no, he really knows this stuff. He does. And, and, and they lie through their teeth. Well, watch this. We all recognize that in the scholarly world, you wouldn't last very long because you lack integrity. You don't tell the truth. But watch this. Look what that says about the Christian worldview. Only the Christian worldview can maintain a demand for integrity in the issue of providing evidence about any questions at all. So, so watch this. As a Christian, you get to have the evidence. You get to say, I want to know the truth. Because watch, you have a basis to appeal to uniformity in nature. You have a basis for induction that the future will be like the past. You have a basis to appeal to logic as necessary, as unchanging, as universal, abstract truths. You have a basis to actually maintain integrity because you believe in ultimate justice. You believe truth matters as an image bearer of God. You know that God cannot lie. That's what the scriptures say. And so when it comes to laws of logic, the basis of laws of logic as an ultimate is you shouldn't lie, right? It's getting at truth. That's the real basis of logic is truth, not lying. God cannot lie. He cannot engage in logical contradiction because that's the nature of lying. That's what you have to think about. Now watch this. It's very important. So if a Christian wants to talk about evidence, they frame it in a total worldview. So why does the Christian appeal to evidence at all? Because they believe in a sovereign God, because they believe truth matters, because they believe that logic is a necessary, unchanging thing. They believe in integrity, right? So that's mm -hmm. why a Christian appeals to evidence. They care about truth. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He's the one we love and worship. We're to love and, and uh, prize truth. So think about that. Now watch. There is a way 
that Bonson and Frame, John Frame, were trying to frame... Drawn uh, Drawn frame. They were trying to frame, excuse the pun, mm -hmm. um, the, the cosmological argument upon presuppositional lines. So, for example, the cosmological argument is essentially arguing about causation. First cause, every effect has it had a cause, and on and on. So what Bonson and Frame were trying to do is, was frame the cosmological argument in a presuppositional context showing that only with the God of the Bible can you have causal relationships. So watch this. You can't even talk about the cosmological argument in a meaningful way without the God of the Bible because without the God of the Bible, you don't have causation. Isn't that amazing? So watch this. Someone like William Lane Craig, his apologetic can actually be strengthened if he argued biblically. His cosmological argument could be framed in a presuppositional framework if he began all of his reasoning with the God of the Bible. He could demonstrate to the unbeliever that he talks to that you can't even have causation and first cause without the God of the Bible because you don't have induction. Think about that. So you could frame evidences in that sense as long as the pre-commitment is first to Christ at the beginning. Because watch this. If you don't start with Christ, there's a larger issue. Well, not larger. It's next to a problem with the problem of not arguing biblically and faithfully. And that is that you fall as a Christian into philosophical absurdity if you abandon Christ as the starting point of your reasoning because you can't have the things that you're arguing for. So, for example, you've got the Christian and the atheist in debate. And the Christian says, well, I, there's amazing evidence for God. And watch this. Hallelujah. Amen. Holy moly. Like, wow. Like, it's insane. It's irrefutable, right? The evidence for God's existence and biological complexity and all those things. And so a Christian says, well, I'm going I'm to start there at all these evidences, right? But they say, but not starting with God. I don't want to assume God's authority mm. and start with Christ. Well, guess what? Now they don't get to have uniformity. Now they don't get to have the absolute obligation to truth and integrity in the argument. Because what they do? They gave up Christ mm. as the final authority and the center point of our reasoning. So it's really important. I'll give you a quick story, then you guys jump in. Please be ready. Um, so I'm sitting down with an atheist about two or three years ago, hardcore atheist, not like I'm an atheist on the side. I'm an atheist on Saturday night. I'm an atheist. Part-time you know, atheist. Yeah, this, this was like a full-time, like he'd put overtime into atheism. Like he spent all of his time, like, you know, watching Richard Dawkins videos and Lawrence Krauss and Sam Harris. And this guy was hardcore, right? Well, his wife was a believer and she was, they were coming to church and he would follow her to church because it's his oh, wife. Yeah. And, you know, he wanted to, you know, be, you know, loving to her and respectful but he was a hardcore atheist. So I said to him, let me take you out to dinner. So I took them both out to dinner. And I said, you can, you can talk to me, ask me questions, whatever you want. So we were at dinner for about three hours, I think, if I remember correctly. About three hours or so. And he is trying to lay everything on me as an atheist. Everything he's got, right? And I was trying to be gentle to him and loving and respectful. And so basically, I did what we would always assume to do. You can't have that without God. Mm. You don't get science. You don't get logic. You know, you're an atheist. Try to remember that. What you believe about the world isn't consistent with what you're doing. You know the God that I'm talking about. It's sin. So finally, he says, all right, all right, all right, fine. All right, I'm fine. Uh, I, 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 I admit it. I can't have these things as an atheist. I can't have a uniformity nature. I can't have logic. Mm. I, I, I admit it. He goes, but I still have questions for you about what you believe. And I said, okay, so let's do this. I said, let's move forward with the evidence questions mm -hmm. and let's move forward recognizing and acknowledging that we've abandoned atheism now and we're standing on the Christian worldview. And he mm -hmm. goes, fine. I said, so we're now no longer atheists, we're Christians, and we're standing on God's word so we can have uniformity in right. nature, we can have laws of logic. Are we good there? He's like, fine. 
He goes, but I want to know about the transmission of the text of the Bible. It's been corrupted. I said, great. Now, as Christians, we should be able to examine this and see if God transmitted right. his word correctly. So I go through the transmission of the text of the Bible, and I refuted his claims about the corruption of Scripture, right? And so guess what happens? After we refuted that claim, he goes on to the next challenge, right? And I said, okay, notice something. I answered your claim about the corruption of Scripture, mm-hmm. and now we're on to the next challenge. Right. So I began to answer more of those challenges. And finally, I said to him after we're done, I said, are you noticing something? I said, we're going to the evidence. I'm refuting what you're saying. And we just keep going on to next challenges. I said, do you know why? I said, because although you have been pretending to hold to the Christian worldview so you can examine these evidences, how come you won't embrace this now? Because you haven't repented. Mm -hmm. You haven't repented. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's why we're just going on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I said, "I'm, I'm showing you that all of your claims about these things are actually wrong. And I said, so, so you need to repent. <laughs> That's right, the problem. Right. You can't even just say, I'm holding to the Christian worldview, because in the end, you have to repent of your sin. And uh, guess what? He came to Christ. He came to Christ. Wow. Recently, right? Recently. Yeah. And we just found out that he, he turned to Christ. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Praise the oh, Lord. Amazing. Oh, amazing. And uh, when I heard that, I'll tell you what, I was... Were you singing this song? In the restaurant. <laughs> All right, guys, talk amongst yourselves. How much time do we get left in this segment? We have time. Yeah, <laughs> I think in regards to the question, um, I think you really don't want to camp out on the evidences until after you've answered the fool according to his folly. Yes. Because at that point, like you just, the example you shared, he admitted he has no ground to stand on. If you're not to that point, you're really just wasting time. You're just, you're not, you're not getting down to the point, where the real issue. And that's, like you said, repentance. And that's the whole point of precept to begin with, is to, is to point people to God, to scripture, and call them to repentance. It's not to spend hours upon hours arguing over evidence, which you can do all day long, and you can win those arguments all day long. But if you don't ever call the person to repentance and faith, it's a waste of time. There's no point. And yeah, Justin's not in his head. I'm curious what he's you thinking over there. Yeah, I think at the very end, we need to be sharing the gospel. Yep. Because without that, what are we even talking about? And, 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 and the presuppositional method, the covenantal apologetic method, is all about wrapping up the argument for the faith mm-hmm. in the call to faith. Mm-hmm. So that's the point, is that at no point in the conversation should the person not be hearing the need for faith in Christ, yeah. the exposure of our own personal sin, right? Like you're in rebellion. You know the God that I'm talking about. You need to turn from sin. And, and that's the thing is that, that apologetics and evangelism are supposed to be wrapped up in one another. So, Joy? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I mean, I would say just even outside of apologetics, feel free to evidence on I mean, evidence, evidence, is, on. evidence is for believers. Keep calling it evidence on. And all of the evidence is going to glorify God. So That's outside, right. I mean, being presuppositional in your apologetics doesn't mean that you can't know evidence, you can't discover things or learn about things. You, like, you should, as a Christian, know by the oh, transmission yeah. of the text of the Bible. 
You should, as a Christian, know about archaeological stuff for the Bible. Yeah. Hey, like study the Dead Sea Scroll stuff. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. And and you'll geek out. You'll yeah. totally yeah. geek out. Yeah. Who who was it that found those Dead Sea Scrolls, by the way, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> we love our listeners. We had a guy that was saying, "Oh, you got you got something wrong in that." And uh, check it out. Peace out. And then he came back later. He was like, "Oh, no, you you're right." And uh, we were talking about Muhammad, the boy that was in, getting into the caves. The Dead Sea Scrolls and Qumran. Um, Isn't it ironic how his name was Muhammad? Muhammad? Ooh. That's mm. how God rolls. That's how God rolls. All right. So, guys, be right back. ApologiaRadio.com. want to thank you listeners for calling the Glory Line. We appreciate you guys very much, and we're grateful for your participation. Love you guys. Thanks for the question. Those were great questions. Very important. Be right back. Hey Alex, is your marriage hard? Yeah Chris, it is. But like climbing a mountain, it's hard going up, but once you're at the top, it's beautiful. I wish there were a place where people would talk about marriage and the gospel. Wait, there is our podcast, The Rugged Marriage. I really feel like I should have known that. Yeah, recording a commercial has a way of bringing on amnesia. Well, check out The Rugged Marriage on iTunes and Stitcher. Reform your theology, reform your marriage. And buy your wife some tulips. some beatbox skills y'all didn't believe me though <laughs> y'all didn't believe me though you can even talk and beatbox at the same right? time yeah. I can I sure can yeah. isn't that yeah. skills one of the best parts of a Modest Yahoo concert is where he breaks yeah. out into like 10 yeah. minutes yeah. of this it's he's amazing he is amazing you like Modest Yahoo yeah yeah Yeah. my wife loves Modest Yahoo oh cool he comes here a lot yeah. I mean, he comes uh, maybe once or twice a year to Arizona. He maybe we can get him on the show. Ooh. Mm. Preach Christ to him. Have a discussion. Yeah. I'd be like, dude, where's your beard? Yeah. Why'd you <laughs> shave that, though? <laughs> because it's not the same. My kids, when he shaved his beard and I pulled up a video of him, like, oh, he shaved his beard. They were like, what happened to him? I don't like that. Face. They, they were like, what happened? Yeah. I, I could see that. We have Modest Yahoo on the show, and all we talk about is beards the mm, whole time. Mm. By, the, by the way, I haven't played this for Justin yet. Your beard is good. Justin has a beard. I just had to get that. So throw that in there. Spirit beard over there. Beard, beard, <laughs> and then beard. And then another. And then another a beard. Ginger beard. Yes. Ginger beard. Extra special one. The homeschool woodpeckers over there, they have the spirit beards. Who are not actual woodpeckers. No, no. Or they're not actually called woodpeckers. No, no, no. Just okay. a general term we have for homeschool All right. children that we love. Okay. You know what's amazing is, and, I, and I'm going to just say this on the air, when Dr. White was here for the interview with Dr. Brown and we sat in the writer's room, I love how Dr. White actually took a minute to talk about um, education. And he talked about, it, was, it blew me away. He talked about uh, homeschooling. And he said, well, you continue to send your kids to Caesar. Hmm. That's what you're going to get. And I was just like, whoa, yes, Dr. White. <laughs> like, 
thought I could. I, I thought I couldn't love him anymore, <laughs> but I, I can. Yo, and then Dr. I White, homeschool. <laughs> All right. So hey, let's uh, let's have a little talk about uh, about eschatology. What do you guys think? Yes. We've never done it before. Never. Brand new. It's a new what segment, is, I guess. What is eschatology exactly? Uh, it comes from um, uh, the eschatos and uh, logos, mean the study of last things. Oh. That's what it means. Two things kind of put together. It's mm. not logos. Log, logos. Log. Ooh, logos. I just was totally inconsistent. You see what I just did there? See? I said logos, and so I should be saying apologia, right? Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, so uh, here's the thing. Uh, it's not about jealousy for the terms post-mill, amel, or pre-mill that should really drive a lot of us in this discussion. It really is central themes. It's overarching re- story of redemption. That's the bigger question. And so when you look to the very beginning of your Bible, you see these themes that just start arising, like uh, the very beginning, you see Genesis 3, you've got the woman's seed who's going to crush the head of the serpent, so he's going to deliver the death blow, and you get the theme of the garden, the garden theme, Adam is the image of God, he sins against God, he breaks covenant with God, the fall enters, he's naked, God covers him with the skins of the, the innocent animal, and nude so beginnings. it's the nude beginnings, <laughs> nude beginnings. Um, so, so keep that theme in mind, that's important, it becomes like thematic stuff, garden themes become like very important in the Bible. Will- I, thought, I thought it was interesting when you were talking to uh, my homeschool kids yesterday. Yeah. And I, I call them my home kids, school kids now because... My home kids. You know, they're mine. Yeah, they're mine. And, <laughs> 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 uh, and, uh, and so you were talking to them about Madashahu and you mentioned that he doesn't have a view of Jesus, but he has an Old Testament view. And so he has a very victorious eschatology. Yes. In his music, yeah. mainly based on the Old Testament. Well, yeah, because you, you, so, so we would say like, okay, post-millennialism is essentially, obviously, obviously we all want to say our eschatology is biblical. Pre-millennialists don't say, mine's not biblical. Mine's, you know, mine's free, freehand. Like, <laughs> mine's you know. totally based on my own opinion. <laughs> <Yeah>, no, but, <laughs> uh, but we would want to show, okay, it's rooted in the text of scripture, but also uh, ancient Jewish eschatology. And so if you listen to someone like Manashahu, when he talks about the future of the world, when he thinks in terms of Mashiach, the Messiah, it's about peace one day. It's about a ceasing of war. It's about, you know, those, those the, it's about victory, like in history, because the Messiah, because that's ancient Jewish eschatology, as the Bible says. So you look in Genesis and you move forward into the theme of uh, Noah. What's God say? He's never going to destroy the whole earth again with a flood. And so there's that promise made there with a rainbow. You know, we all know that. And we know what it really means, the rainbow. Uh, but then you move into Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And Abraham has promised what? Look at Genesis chapter 12 through 15. Abraham has promised descendants as numerous as the stars. Now, that does not sound like a limited number. That descendants as numerous as the stars sounds pretty victorious. And then you move into Genesis 49:10. You get the promise being made about Shiloh. And to him is going to be the obedience of the nations. I always like to point this out. When you go to Romans chapters 1 and 16, the Apostle Paul, a Jewish rabbi, trained in Gamaliel, who knows his Torah, he knows the Tanakh, he knows the Old Testament. He bookends Romans chapters 1 and 16 with a declaration that it is their call to bring about what? The obedience of faith among the nations for his namesake. So if you think back to Genesis, Shiloh, the obedience of the nations is going to be belonging to him. And this Jewish rabbi, Paul, Romans 1.16, that's the call, the obedience of the nation. See the theme? Working itself out. And then you move again 
into the rest of the, the Old Testament. No way we can do it all today, but just I'm going to do themes here, and you guys get ready to jump in because I'm going to stop talking in a second. But you look in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, mighty God, the Father of Eternity is coming, and what's it say? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That shows progression in history. There's going to be an increase of his government and of peace. And you look at Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Daniel's looking in the night visions, and he says, Behold, one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He came up to the Ancient of Days, was given what? Dominion, kingdom, glory, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And it says his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. As a quick side note, embrace this because it's powerful. That one text destroys the cults. That one text destroys Jehovah's Witnesses. That one text destroys Mormonism. Those religions start with a denial of the kingdom of God as a victorious thing. They said that it fell away, those sorts of things, but onward. Daniel 2, during the time of the fourth kingdom, God himself is going to raise up a kingdom, build a kingdom, establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It's like a stone that becomes a mountain one day. Psalm chapter 2 we already heard Christopher Walken read this today, or George Bush. And what does it say? It says that God the Father says to the Son, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Right? And the kings of the earth are warned to obey the Son, or they'll perish. Psalm 22, the passion of the Messiah, talks about it being pierced in his hands and his feet. And then it moves ahead after the passion, and it says he will tell of his name to his brothers, and that all the ends of the earth are going to turn to God. That's in the passion psalm. Then you've got Psalm 72, the one we read, he shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And what's the most quoted verse in the Old Testament in the New? From the Old Testament in the New, what is it? Psalm 110.1, yeah. it says what? That the five, this is how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He must reign until he's made all his enemies a what? Footstool for his feet. Then death is destroyed. Then the kingdom is delivered over to the Father. Victorious, right? So... Talk amongst yourselves. Seems like a good ending to me. Seems like a very good ending. What's that? Let me pull this up. Oh, yeah. We got, we, we're still going to. I know. I'm just telling you. Okay. So, um, so just quickly, that, that's the overarching story. Now, I guess I'll say this, and you guys, please cut in here, but Matthew opens up, very important. He opens up with the declaration of Jesus' royal line, that Jesus owns the right to the royal line. That's through Joseph as his father, physically through Mary, obviously in Luke, but Matthew is Joseph's line, clearly, and it shows he has a right to the throne. In Matthew chapter 2, it's the pagans that are first coming to worship Jesus as the king. Think about how that fits into the whole story. The nations are going to come to God in the Old Testament because of the Messiah. Knowledge of God covering the earth like the waters cover the sea. The families of the earth are going to return to God. Who are the first people coming to Jesus? Not Jews, but Gentiles, pagans. Then you have Jesus being displayed as the true and perfect Israel in Matthew chapter 2 through 4. You've got the um, Matthew 3. This is important. Uh, John the Baptist comes and he says, very first words out of his mouth in Matthew 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven is a synonymous thing with kingdom of God. So repent for the rule of God is at hand. And what, is he, what does Jesus say after he defeats Satan in the wilderness? He says to Satan, he says, uh, well, Satan offers him the kingdoms of the earth, takes him up to a great and high mountain. That has to be an Isaiah 2 theme. In Isaiah 2, the mountain is raised up above all the mountains and all the nations stream up to it, right? 
And then Satan takes Jesus in the wilderness up to a great and high mountain. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Sound familiar? Sounds like Isaiah 2. And he says, I'll give them all to you if you worship me. So Jesus, no cross, no resurrection, no suffering. I'll give them all to you right now if you worship me. Why would Satan offer Jesus the kingdoms of the world? Because that's what he mm-hmm. came for. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then in Matthew 4, Matthew quotes after the victorious um, scene in the wilderness. Matthew quotes from Isaiah 9. Pause and think about that. I already talked about it. What's in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7? That God is coming and that he will have an increase to his government and peace and it will never end. Matthew quotes after the temptation in the wilderness. He quotes Isaiah 9 in the beginning about the light now going out across the world. And what does Jesus say when he leaves the wilderness? First words. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what is Jesus preaching in Matthew 4? The gospel of the what? Kingdom. Kingdom. And then he gets into the Sermon on the Mount. And what's he say? He says, the meek shall inherit the earth. How does he teach you to pray? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. On earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus tells us to pray. Now, that's the theme. Okay, so you guys jump in. That's the overarching story. Yeah, that's a great eschatology to have in times like these right now. Very much so. Yeah, I was reading through Jonah in the Bible, and you look at Nineveh, and you see that that entire nation, including the king, repented in less than 40 days. Mm. And and we look at how bad our nation is, and I just look at Nineveh, and I go... It only takes less than 40 days for a whole nation to repent if God wills. Yep. And, uh, you know, we could see Obama repent before he leaves office. Amen. If, but I don't think because of our eschatologies or because of the bad eschatologies out there that say that things are just going to get worse and worse and worse until, you know, God comes back to rescue his church because things are so bad. I, you don't see people really that, like, mm. preach yeah. and believe that repentance is available so at that such a ma- a massive scale as Nineveh but i mean you know i was i think we talked about this before if you look at a uh, lot in Sodom he couldn't find one person in that entire t- city that believed in god and so god destroyed it but here i mean we have apologia church we have jeff james white's church just just in arizona yeah you know, you have like uh, the the, PC, the entire PCA here in Arizona. Yeah. I mean, like there's... <laughs> presby, Presby, what, yeah, what? I, I had to throw that in there. Presby, Presby. Yeah. So, so we have a, a lot of Christians in America still that if we rise up, we really can do something. We just need to believe it. I think that'll... I mean, like that's the key. Yeah. Preach the gospel. So, Suffer yeah. for the gospel. Cause right. of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, 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 I don't think it's just about preaching it. We do need to just preach it. But we need to believe the power of the gospel. Amen. Because I mean, anybody can just sit there and say, you know, just repent and believe. You know, you know, we really need to believe. No, God can really change mm. an entire nation in an instant. Amen. So, Amen. That, preach. That's preach what you it. see throughout scriptures. Amen. God changing nations throughout an instant. So, so real fast, Jesus... Then this again, this is a single broadcast. You can't exhaust this, but I will say this that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 about his kingdom when they are accusing him of linking up and being bedfellows with Satan. And Jesus says to him, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, he says, Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Guys, that's what Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come yep. upon you if I do this. Yep. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, 
the kingdom of God has come upon you. Brothers and sisters, we all know that he did. That means it had come upon them. And you have to think too, too about in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells his followers, he says, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the son of man comes. That's judgment on that generation. The son of man is coming before they finish going through the cities of Israel. There's judgment coming. Matthew 16, we all know the famous passage in Matthew 16, Jesus clearly, clearly tells them. Uh, Matthew 16, 28, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. It, w it was a present reality, but there was an issue of passing on the baton. The old covenant remnants were still hanging around after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And so the kingdom of God is a present reality, but the old covenant order had not yet been fully, um, it was defunct, but all those remnant pieces of it were still hanging around. It came with power by the end of that generation and fully um, in power. Now, obviously it's still growing. It's not consummated yet, but Jesus tells them, some of you won't die. Mm -hmm. You can't say Matthew 17, the transfiguration is really the fulfillment of that because none of them had died. Uh, move forward and you begin to see in the scriptures that Jesus in Revelation 1 is called the ruler of the kings of the earth, um, that he is reigning, Paul says, and he must reign until all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. That's a minimal scratching of the surface. So somebody might say, well, Jeff, what about the fact that Jesus talks about when he, when, when he returns, there are tares among the wheat? Um, well, it's very easy. What does he return to? A wheat field or a tear field? Wheat. It's a, it's a wheat field, not a tear field. It's a wheat field. Can I add something here? Yeah. So there's this video. It was done by the BBC. And I'll post it on the Apologia Facebook page so people can see it. But it's a guy, and he's talking about the prosperity of nations and in terms of like how long they live and how much income they have. And he starts out in the 1800s and he goes all the way up to modern times. So you have like this bird's eye view of the past 1800 years, which in the 1790s is really when uh, the, the, the major missionary movements of the world really started to take place. Okay. And so you had uh, William Carey, for example, in 1790 and all these guys. So you start and you see everybody is down in the poor and they live poor and they, they're, they're poor and they, they live for, they have a short lifespan, about 40 years. And then if you watch this, they don't talk about the missionary movement. Obviously they talk about science and progression of science. But as this, as you go up to the year 2000 and you have, you know, like the, you know, the modern missionary movements as, as, and the Southern Baptist convention starts sending people out all over the world. All these civilized nations who have the gospel, their age, their lifespan, and how, how, how much money they make increase and goes up to 70 or 80 years. And then you see what's left is Africa and China, and they're slowly growing back behind it because that's where we're reaching now. Yeah. And so it's an amazing video if you watch it with a worldview of the missionary and the spread of the gospel. It's fantastic. You know who's in uh, Africa now? Body Bakum. Yeah. Yeah. Get ready, Africa. Seriously. <laughs> right? About to get kicked in the teeth. <laughs> right? Gospel baby in Africa. Yeah, girl. All right. So uh, quickly, somebody might say, um, what about the Great Tribulation? Uh, they say the Bible, Jesus talks about Great Tribulation. Isn't that coming? Well, read Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 together. They're parallel passages, the Olivet Discourse. There is no question at all. Jesus says... After the discourse in Matthew 24 about all the things that are going to fall, 
He says the temple's destruction is before they all die. And he says this, this generation will not pass away until all these things yeah. take place. Guys, you got to treat that fairly as a Christian and do it like you would read any other text. Jesus says temple's destruction and all these things, war, famine, pass, all these things are upon that generation. And he says they won't all die. Guys, you know what's unfair? is to treat a prophet, a false prophet like Joseph Smith and his false prophecies where he says these things are going to happen in his generation. You go, oh, false prophet, Deuteronomy 18, you can't have those, you're a false prophet. You know what's not, not fair is to have a different standard for Jesus. Mm -hmm. If you're going to put that prophecy future to us, then it is in fact a false prophecy. But here's the amazing thing. Why would you want to do that? The early Christians used Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse as proof to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah because those things happened to that generation. But also, somebody says, what about the book of Revelation? What's happening there? I'm about to do something crazy. I'm going to blitz you with some fun stuff in Revelation just to whet your appetite. What about the Great Tribulation? We would show that those things happen upon that generation as expected, exactly as Jesus said. But then someone says, what about the book of Revelation? I would say this, Revelation, you need to know your Old Testament before you even attempt to read it. Over 400 verses, over half of those verses, either direct quotations from the Old Testament or allusions to Old Testament passages. That means that John is thinking in Old Testament. People have said John could be accused of plagiarism by modern standards because he just copied Old Testament. Mm. Um, but watch this. Look at the opening revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, watch, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Watch this. The end of the text there in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So who's reading the Bible literally? I'm reading it literally because mm -hmm. I believe that that absolutely was true and that the tribulation John described here that was going to befall the Jewish people actually happened within a couple of years of John's writing. For more on that, Kenneth Gentry's book, Before Jerusalem Fell, you got to have it in your library. But real quickly, look what John says here in verse 9. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he's in Patmos. Why? Because of his testimony as a Christian, because of the testimony of Jesus. And he says this, that he is their partner in the tribulation. John speaks to seven actual churches. He tells them what's about to befall them. But very quickly, watch this. What's the major theme, I would say, in the book of Revelation? It's the destruction of the harlot, the covenant-breaking wife, and the display of the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ coming down out of heaven to God and hitting the earth, and the call of the gospel going out to the world that all who are thirsty might come and drink. Now, I know that there, you would want to know a lot more on that, but let me just give you a couple things here. Um, what does, what does um, God call... What does God call, uh, let me get to this thing here real fast. What does God call Israel in the Old Testament when she goes off and commits spiritual adultery? Prostitute. What's a whore. A whore. Why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? Why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? Is that God speaking to Israel? No, no, oh. but there is the harlot theme in the Old Testament. Let me give you a passage here real fast, and it'll, do, it'll knock out two things. Watch this. Ezekiel. Chapter 14, go to it later, guys. In verse 21, for thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem, watch this, my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beast, and pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. So who does God promise that to? Jerusalem. Mm. 
What are the judgments? There are how many? Four, Four judgments that God promises upon Jerusalem. Now watch, there's more. If you go to Ezekiel 16, the passage is about God's faithless bride, and he actually calls Israel, for her turning away from him, he actually calls Israel a harlot. He says, you played the whore. That's in verse 16. You, so what does he say to Israel? You broke covenant with me. You went after other gods. He says, you did what the nations did. And he says, you're a whore. Oh. Now watch, in, in, in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, after John promises the soon coming judgment, in chapter six, watch this. I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come and I looked and watched and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and a conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and out came another horse bright red and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given this great sword when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, watch, and then you go through the, the, the different creatures and guess what the four, the four judgments are in that text in Revelation. The four judgments right. that God promised upon Jerusalem. Don't you think it's, don't you think it's interesting? Four mm-hmm. judgments on Jerusalem in the Old Testament. He c- talks about Israel as a whore, as a harlot, right? But those are the very four judgments in Revelation chapter 6. And then you move on in Revelation to Revelation 17, and what do you have? You have the great harlot who has, who has Babylon on her forehead, that's where Israel went. She is in the wilderness. She's drinking the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. That is, who is persecuting the Christians in the book of Revelation is Rome and the Jews. Jesus accused Jerusalem in Matthew 23 of persecuting the saints of God. Just a little more. And in Revelation 17, you've got this great harlot who's riding the beast, which is Rome. And it says Rome's going to turn on her and destroy her. And you've got in Revelation the destruction of the harlot and the marriage of the bride and the lamb. New Jerusalem, old Jerusalem put away, new Jerusalem conquering victorious. The call goes out to the world. If anyone is thirsty, come and drink. Revelation, baby. Amen. Victory. Can we end the show with hymns more often? I like that. That's a song. I love this song. My wife this? will appreciate that. Can we sing this at church? Yeah. I love it. Maybe find a better version. Yeah. Joy. Yeah. Justin. <laughs> thanks for coming. You were just in time. Just in time. Steal my jokes again. All right, guys. Collegeradio.com. Uh, hey, share this episode. Give it to somebody. Tell them about us. Love you guys. Catch you next time. Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. I'm also the pastor at Apologia Church in Tempe. You can get us at ApologiaChurch.com. Want to invite you guys to join us for worship, the word, and fellowship on Sundays at 4 p.m. And that's Joy Tempe. Hey there. We are a family integrated church. So we invite you to bring your whole family to worship with us. 
This is Luke Pearson, the ministry bear, also discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. Like Jeff mentioned, we are now meeting at a new location and time, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons at Arizona Community Church. That's 9325 South Rural Road and Tempe. We're meeting in the Community Center, and that is between Warner and Ray off of Rural. Again, you can reach us on them internets at apologiachurch.com. Delicious beards are encouraged but not required. <laughs> Glory!